All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. We've got a former congressional candidate for you guys, but here's a twist. This time it's a Republican, fun for everybody. Michael Orishin ran in the 53rd district of California. And he was a Trump supporting Republican in that race. He did not prevail as happens from time to time, and I would know. But Michael, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, great to be on the conversation. Yeah, no problem. So Michael, I saw you when you were running for office in an interview say that you support everything Donald Trump has done. I find that to be stunning. So I hold on, I didn't say everything. I said I thought he wore his ties a little bit too long. That's true, that is true. Okay. See, we have agreement already. I don't wanna be fake news, and you did say that. So. That's really interesting, Michael, to me on a, on a couple of fronts. One, I think it's mental, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But okay. two, um, I'm curious if you had already, if you were already disgruntled with the Republican Party, because Donald Trump uh, holds a, a lot of positions that the Republican Party did not hold before him. Oh, so, absolutely. Right, so for example, uh, you know, when the neocons ran the Republican Party, and we were told by all the Republicans, and by the way, not some of them, all of them, that the Iraq War was a great idea, and every other war was a great idea. And so, I'm wondering that was your, you, that was your conversion moment. Okay, yeah. So, and then we were told that all Republicans believe in free trade, and now we are told no, nobody believes in free trade. They're all for tariffs. So, right. did you believe in those? Did you make a switch? Because you no no I, yeah, I, yeah yeah I certainly had an evolution in my thinking. The two pillars that that Trump went totally against the establishment Republicans on, and this is why you see so many never Trumpers on the on the right side of the aisle. It were trade and immigration, both focused at helping helping the middle class. I mean, from a standpoint of making sure that our you know supply chains are domestic. That uh, that our jobs can be uh, some more uh, sourced domestically, and I think I think you know I think he went against uh, you know not only did he have to go against the Democrats, he had to go against so many establishment Republicans to make those uh, make those cases. And and yeah, I I think there so, was evolution in my thought. Yeah. So Michael, did Trump convert you on those issues? Well, no. I mean, I think you know I've also witnessed the you know the Brazilification of California, and I've been wit witnessing the the withering of the middle class myself for a long period of time. So I can't, I can't say that you know, you know, Trump was, you know, the intro to those kinds of ideas. But you know, certainly the kinds of the kinds of working class and union voters that are supporting Trump now. I mean, those typically, those voters in the '80s and early '90s would have been absolutely behind Biden and the Democrats. So you mentioned the Brazilification of California. Brazil's of course sure. led by a right wing authoritarian government, but I'm gonna move past that. But the middle <laughs> class is gone. I mean, the, the, the effect yeah, of, because of that socialism right wing is- Authoritarian has, governments that give all the advantages to the rich. So that brings me to Trump's tax cuts. Um, so 83% of the tax cuts will go to the top 1%. Uh, are you and it will it's absolutely destroyed the deficit and the debt. Are you now also changing your position that deficits and debt doesn't matter at all? And I'm glad we gave 1.9 trillion dollars to mainly the rich in the form of tax cuts. No, I don't know. And I, 
I would have to see your evidence that the 1.3 trillion that was repatriated and put back into companies. I mean, if you're if you're suggesting that it was spent on stock buybacks and not employee hiring, then I don't think you could argue that that the kind of low unemployment we've seen across the board wasn't in some ways affected by that repatriation, right? No, first of all, that's not the case at all. So first of all, independent sources have said it, including in Donald Trump's own government, that it is now $1.9 trillion that it has cost us. Second of all, in terms of yeah, the but wouldn't you have that, that money on, get repatriated? Finish, finish. The companies that promised to hire folks with the money that they got, did not do so, that is documented. In fact, a lot of them then turned around and bragged in their own meetings to shareholders. We cut costs, meaning we laid off a lot of people. And and that's the proof is in the numbers. And then on top of that, we then give you do the stock buybacks, which allows the shareholders to make more money. And if they made that more money by selling more goods, etc., that's there's nothing wrong with that. But they made the money because they got giant tax cuts, and no, they and 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 then to say, hey, we had low unemployment for a while, which we had under Obama. Trump continued it for a while, and then now we have spectacularly horrible unemployment. So okay, it's not pre-crisis, post-crisis. No, I'm, I, but but how can you explain the record low unemployment numbers across the board? If out with without suggesting that some of that repatriation was actually used to hire locally, I don't. I think that would be disingenuous to make that case. So, first of all, do you concede that Obama's unemployment numbers were even lower than Trump's? I not, I saw a slow march out of recession. I didn't. I didn't see the kinds of meteoric growth that we saw. No, that's just not true. That's just not true. So now Trump did continue that, and and. And Michael, you're familiar with the concept of bubbles. Obviously, it happened in 2000. It happened in 2008. Sure. And and here, look, I, I'm not a guy who likes the Democratic Party. Uh, so uh, I think Obama overinflated uh, the markets as well because both Democratic and Republican politicians, including and especially Donald Trump, have given everything to the wealthiest multinational corporations. And what it does is, yes, it creates for a while. An overinflated market, which looks good, and then it crashes. It's happened every time. It's like Herbert Hoover saying, "The Roaring Twenties were going great until the Great Depression." Yeah, that's yeah. what happens. And the minute you have any kind of shock to the system, those bubbles burst, and you get the disaster that we're in right now. Well, uh, so how would you how would you describe the? I mean, look, I looked at price to earnings ratios, and I said, "Holy cow." There's no way there's going to be a reset. Then there was COVID. Then there was a little bit of a reset, and now we're. How would you? How would you explain the current climb? Is everybody just trying to get their last bit of profit off the table before putting all their money in gold? What do you, what yeah. would you suppose happening? A hundred percent. You see the you Federal Reserve. The monetary is. policy is so loose. The interest rate is nearly zero, which is totally artificial, and that creates this overvaluation of the stock market. But when you look at the real economy, wages have been stagnant for 45 years. And yes, I blame Republicans, but I also blame Democrats for that. Clinton and Obama went along with that all throughout. And wages are disastrous right now. They're incredibly low. They just will not go up. Because those corporations take all of the profit, all of the margin off the table, and they have crooked politicians like Donald Trump help them do that. And on top of that, we now have over 20 million unemployed and 200,000 dead. Are you saying that, for example, that he's handled the coronavirus well when we have the worst 
number of cases and the worst number of deaths in the whole world? Look, I don't think you can say, I mean, what, Congress got a briefing on the 24th of January. On the 31st of January, he shuts down travel from China. Everybody calls him a xenophobe. And then in the in the ensuing weeks, they're saying, come on down to Chinatown, the water's fine. What? How, how else would you have responded to the coronavirus? Oh, I mean, I'm daily briefings. Asked. Without doing the Defense Production Act, he, he got such amazing public-private partnerships in place to build all these ventilators that it turns out weren't needed because that's not how the virus infects you. What would you have done differently? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. First of all, two obvious answers. One is testing and contact tracing. That's what New Zealand did, South Korea did, Taiwan did, Germany did, and they all greatly reduced the number of cases and deaths. It's not that complicated. You test people overwhelmingly, and the minute you find out who they've been in contact with, you get them in quarantine so you can reopen the economy and everybody else can be fine. And then on top of that, masks. I mean, it's the bare, bare minimum. He sent masks to China. As he was telling Bob Woodward, he knew what a plague it was. Okay. And then he would not order the masks. It's okay, the okay. easiest thing in the world. And so, he didn't do the bare minimum. But the irony, what I'm hearing from you, which I which I didn't expect, is that you're suggesting that he took too aggressive an approach and should have been a lot more targeted in terms of that testing. No, I, I mean didn't the, say that the at all. He well, was no, no, but he was a total weakling and and totally incompetent in in doing the bare minimum mass and testing. I agree with well, you we on have the what, ventilators. Thirty-seven by different he did kinds an of okay tests. Okay, job on ventilators, and it wasn't his fault. And, but that we the ventilators, ventilators were not as ventilators. needed as as people originally thought. But on mass and testing, it was a disaster. Okay, all right. Well, like in in, in my opinion, contact tracing uh, opens us up to a whole new set of social constraints that already people felt like there was a little bit too much government encroachment on this. I my, my feeling is that. We should have just targeted a you know the at risk community. Even the CDC themselves has now come clearly on their website saying that 94% of the cases that they had previously listed as positive cases, are you know in terms of deaths were were comorbidities, and they they lay it flat out to you. And I don't think I think we our response to the pandemic has been far more dangerous. No, no, that please don't play with the numbers. The comorbidity just means. Uh, that yes, there are other factors that are issues with people. That is not what they died of. They did, like, for example, if I died of coronavirus, they would say, yes, you have comorbidity because you were overweight. But just being overweight doesn't kill you unless you. No, get, no. You see what I'm saying? It's a coronavirus. No, it would have to be. Kills. No, it would have to be a different kind of pneumonia or something. Comorbidity. They're they're not gonna. They're, they're just. No, <laughs> obesity and being overweight is a comorbidity. It really and in fact, it's one of the top ones. So, right, but. Yeah, right. so th- no, those are all coronavirus deaths. There's but, no I mean, question you, about it. But you're in California with me, I and mean, we we listen to Gavin Newsom saying, unless we shut down for for 15 days, we're likely to have 3.6 million deaths on our hands, and that's what we all fell followed suit, and we were all 100% on board with that. Well, okay. and so now having a mere 200,000 deaths, which is which is gnarly, but certainly throughout the course of any year, you know, we do have a number of old age deaths. So. How can we how can we sit here and say that, that we haven't had in some way a a success? There there has to have been some efficacy to this response if we're talking about you know you know orders of magnitude difference between what was laid out three point six million we're going to die in California. Michael, it's two hundred thousand extra deaths, and it's the worst in the world. So saying well maybe somebody thought it could have been worse. 
but as it turns out, Trump broke the record, but not as much as we thought he was going to is not a great excuse. I, we're right. out of time. I gotta ask you one last thing because I'm always so curious about this. And we'll, uh, I hope we can do it again. Uh, but Trump did not build a wall and, and his comical claim that he was gonna make Mexico pay for it, people have dropped. But I'm just curious, did you always know that he was lying when he said Mexico was gonna pay for it? Or are you disappointed that he didn't even try? No, it's not like Mexico is gonna write a check saying this is for the wall. We have $27 billion every year in remittances that go from Western Union to Latin American countries. There are any number of ways to collect on said wall. So but he so didn't. In, no, that, that we don't. We don't know that. I mean, the the you know the re- relationship between AMLO and Trump is is remarkable, and I don't think, I don't think. I mean, we're at 300 miles of new wall built, and we've seen an order of magnitude drop in terms of border crossings. Um, I, I I can't. Also I, not I true. don't see how you see. And so at one point, Show me. there were more record crossings under Trump than there were under Obama. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm there was not a in favor of this, That's but right. Obama actually deported more people than Trump did. And and believe me, if Donald Trump had gotten Mexico to pay for it, he would have told us. Well, I mean, like I said, it's not gonna be a line item expenditure. There's so many different places of, of trade where there's ways to get that accomplished. So. I, 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 obviously, clearly, we need a, a, a follow-on conversation for the conversation. <laughs> okay, sounds good, Michael. I appreciate you coming on. Be a good sport. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, and I agree. We we should do it again. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Sounds good. All right, cheers. All right, back on a conversation, and now we've got a great progressive candidate for you guys. Uh, it's Pam Keith. She's running in uh, 18th District of Florida. She's a Navy veteran, a progressive attorney, and she has an excellent chance of winning. Uh, and this would be um, a, a red to blue flip by a progressive. So that would be a, a huge uh, electoral win, not just for Democrats, but for progressives. So Pam, great to have you back uh, on the TYT Network. Always a delight to be with you, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Pam ran as a Just Democrat last time. She was with us in Miami. If you guys saw our coverage there of the debates, so Pam, you've got a lot of controversy in your congressional run here. The Republican about Brian Mast has apparently said some pretty deplorable things, to say the least. What what happened there? Well, you know, it's it's hard to pick which one of the two Republicans on the ballot in November is more deplorable. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. But Brian, um, shortly after the primary, got caught with these Facebook posts in which he was commenting on the page of his best friend, who is currently his campaign manager. The first comment was on a picture that the manager had had posted while he was on vacation in South Africa with some very young girls. And Brian commented that he was so proud of him and that he wanted his campaign manager to have sex with as many 15 year old girls as he could while he was over there because he thought it was legal in South Africa to do that. For the record, it's not. But whether it is or it is not, it's still revolting. But he alone is not, and then and then a year later he made some even more ridiculous comments on that same Facebook relationship where they were asking what was a good pickup line. And Brian said, hey, the good pickup line is don't turn this rape into a murder. Now, I want to remind you that at the time that Brian was making these comments, he was married, he was on active duty in the military. 
He had women in his unit and command. So it's not just locker room talk. He left those comments up on a Facebook in public for 11 years. That's a sign that they didn't trouble him and it sure didn't trouble the guys he was hanging out with. I think that's pretty sad. Look, it would be terrible enough if, if he was joking. My guess is he said he was joking, is, is that right? He says he's embarrassed about it now. Okay. Now, and I'm not entirely sure that means he was joking. But it really doesn't matter to me whether he thinks he was joking or not. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason we have trafficking of teenagers and children for sex abuse is because of people who think like that. To me, the, the critical part there is that he's directing it at someone who's in South Africa mm -hmm. uh, and saying, hey, I think the legal limit there is 15. So see if you can do that. that you know, even if some folks wanted to cut him a break on jokes, it doesn't. That feels like it's not really a joke. No, and that, that's that's the super disturbing part. You couldn't be more right. I mean, he was encouraging this guy, right? He wasn't saying he wasn't bragging about something he does, like Trump saying, "Oh, you know, they let me do whatever I want." He was encouraging this guy to have as many 15 year old girls as he could. I know, but down in that area of Florida, you, you guys don't have any child sex trafficking, do you? Well, there's this, well, certainly not, except for the one named Jeffrey Epstein who lived in our district for years. Oh boy. He trafficked in young girls for years. That's a particularly unfortunate comment for someone that represents Epstein's district to make. Mm. I'm sure that QAnon and Republicans are outraged at him and and probably think that he's part of some ring or or maybe they're not really concerned about that issue and they're trying to use it against Democrats. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have our own QAnon candidate. We have actually two Republicans on the ballot because in Florida, we have closed primaries. So independents go automatically to the general election ballot. And we have KW Miller, who is running as the QAnon candidate, who is convinced that Patti LaBelle is part of the deep state being paid by George Soros and that Beyonce is not black. But she's Italian and pretending to be black so that she could get attention. KW is also of the opinion that white women who join Black Lives Matter are doing it solely so that they can have sex with black men. There <laughs> are other ways. Has she ever heard of Tinder? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> well, but that was your guys I'm running against, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. I mean, that is a murderous road. So Roger Stone came out against Mast. Right. And apparently, Roy Moore in Alabama thought he was too much of a hypocrite. Is is that because they think he's too toxic, or is that because they like the QAnon one better? I think there is definitely contingency of the GOP that prefers the QAnon guy because. Brian had the temerity to, to pretend like he, he supported an assault rifles ban for all of like six seconds. And they considered that to be the greatest betrayals. So, you know, the Miller guy is Mr. You know, let's militia up, let's get as many assault weapons as humanly possible. I, I deserve to have a howitzer and a grenade launcher too. So, so there's definitely a contingency that, you know, of the extreme gun, pro gun people that are Miller people. And of course, he's unabashed about his racism. So, there's certainly a component that that buys into that. How big of a contingency is, is hard to tell, but it doesn't have to be much to make a difference in this district. I don't think I understand uh, the Florida system well enough. So 
Is it the three of you on the ballot? And if that's the case, I mean, you already had a really good chance of winning this seat because it's close enough. Aren't they gonna split the vote and give you a much better chance? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, this district is the most difficult to characterize because it can be a razor thin margin between a DNR, which it was in 2014 or 2012. It can be a 20 point win for a Democrat, which it was in 2014. It can be a 10 point win for the Republican, which it was in 2016. I mean, it can be any one of those things because it's really about these are not changes in population, they're changes in momentum. So yeah. this is a season of momentum on the blue side, and it is heavily influenced by the turnout of African American voters who happen to be big fans of mine. I think your only issue is getting past the Patty LaBelle problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so by the way, guys, PamKeithFL.com, obviously FL stands for Florida, PamKeithFL.com. So Pam is an excellent chance of winning this. And turning a red seat blue with a progressive, progressive would make a giant, giant difference. So, Absolutely. and and so for folks that are clean, uncorrupted candidates, your donations and and your volunteering makes all the difference. We'll have all the links down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. So make sure you check those out and click those. But Pam, let me keep going. I mean, you. These Republicans in your district have a murderer's row of problems. So in terms of veterans, yes, you and Mass are both veterans. Mm-hmm. But Mass is backing Donald Trump who called mm-hmm. veterans suckers and losers. How is that gonna play out in the district? Well, that was one of our first ads that we put up on TV was calling him out on the cowardice of, of, of not standing up for the heroes that have died to protect this country. But I think Brian and I are gonna be debating on October the 5th. I think it might be the first and or only debate in which you have a progressive veteran debating a conservative veteran and me being a female and him being male. I think that this is gonna be really interesting, but it's not just suckers and losers. Remember, Russia's put bounties on the heads of our troops. Brian had nothing to say when when Donald Trump called people suffering from PTSD just weak-minded of all the people in Congress who had standing to call Donald Trump out on that, Brian Master said something he never did. I mean, the, the, the insults and injuries to veterans, it's just compounded by the fact that Brian just will not ever stand up against Donald Trump. And you know, he's never going to be able to outpatriot me. He doesn't get to wrap himself up in the flag and own the Constitution on me. Because not only did I serve and I deployed, but so did my father. And the blood of those African Americans who died protecting a Constitution they didn't get to enjoy has paid in full. So, you know, that's, that's the conversation I can't wait to have. I won yeah. a primary for this district with 80% of the vote. An increased turnout by eight and a half thousand votes over our previous best primary. A strong, progressive woman can win with the help. Yeah, you know what I love about Pam isn't just how progressive she is or how accomplished she is, but it's how strong she is. And so it's just so refreshing to see. Pam, you'd be the first female black veteran in Congress. Is that true? That seems unbelievable. 
it's it seems kind of unbelievable to me too, but I'm also the first black woman to ever qualify for a ballot for US Senate in Florida. So I'm intrepid and I'm and I'm not risk averse. I, I assert where I need to be, and I think women of color are leading the charge in a lot of ways. Progressives are leading the charge in so many ways. We think big, we're bold, we're not patient, we're not gonna sit on the back of the bus. Um, and so I'm looking forward to this opportunity. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely take it to Brian and, and with the help of, of, of progressives, I'm so proud that my money raising reflects my values. I haven't taken any corporate PAC money, not taking private prisons or FOP, any of that. My money reflects my values and my values have been consistent for years. So I think yeah. we can win this. Yeah, and especially in Florida where there's now been 10,000 coronavirus deaths. Yeah. As they back Donald Trump, the Republicans in your race do, that is a terrible position to be in. Uh, both in terms of politics, but also in terms of policy. Uh, so we got to send Pam in there to literally rescue people uh, to make sure we don't have any more deaths. Uh, so uh, PamKeithFL.com, please everybody check it out. I think you'll agree. And Pam, thanks so much for coming on and thanks for running again. It makes all the difference. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nick. And it's a pleasure to be with the Young Turks, always is.